Welcome to episode 125 of Behind the Mission, a show that sparks conversation with SciCom trusted partners and educational experts. My name is Dwayne France, and each week I'll be having conversations with podcast guests that will equip you with tools and resources to effectively engage with and support military service members, veterans, and their families. You can find the show on all the podcast players or by going to psycharmor.org forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us in Behind the Mission. Our work and mission are supported by generous partnerships and sponsors who also believe that education changes lives. Our sponsor this week is PsychArmor, the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners, as well as custom training options for organizations. On today's episode, I'm featuring a conversation with Dr. Michael Koth, Executive Director of the LGBTQ Health Office of Patient Care Services, Veterans Health Administration, about the support available for LGBTQ veterans in the Department of Veterans Affairs. He leads the development and implementation of healthcare policy and best practices for veterans who have lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and similar identities, a population who have historically experienced stigmatization, discrimination, and barriers to culturally responsive healthcare. You find out more about Dr. Koth by checking out his bio in our show notes. Let's get into my conversation with him and come back afterwards to talk about some of the key points. Dr. Koth, thank you for taking the time to share your expertise on the support for LGBTQ plus veterans in the Department of Veterans Affairs. Would love to talk about the support that LGBTQ plus veterans receive in the VA, but I'd like to offer you an opportunity to share a little bit about yourself and why this work is so important to you. Sure. Thank you very much, Dwayne, and thank you for inviting me to be on the podcast. I'm a clinical psychologist by training. You know, one of my passions is to help people live better lives. Also been very interested in how people identify in their sexual orientation and gender identity for years and working with people who feel oppressed and stigmatized, partly from my own personal experiences and partly uh, because of professional passion. And in the last few years, I've had the privilege of being in a leadership position at the VA where I can direct this new, and it's still fairly new, LGBTQ plus health program to address the needs of veterans who come to VA. And I hope all LGBTQ plus veterans come to the VA. Yeah. And this is definitely something, as you said, it's not new, but it's an emerging focus, right? right. The idea of, of caring for all veterans and diverse veterans. The post 9-11 military is being recognized as a much more diverse military in many different ways. And that includes LGBTQ plus identities. And the Department of Veterans Affairs has done a lot in the way of expanding support. But before we talk about the support, why do you think it's important for listeners to understand the different identities of this group of veterans and how to support them in that? Yeah, it's easy to think of sexual orientation identities or gender identities as just this quirky aspect of somebody's personality. But it's much more than that. How people identify themselves is important to how they think about their health and their health behaviors and even their access to health care. And particularly for those people who experience minoritized identities, they're not heterosexual, they're not cisgender, meaning their gender identity is congruent with their sex assigned at birth, but they have a, an identity that the majority views as something that is not right or deviant and not 
certainly not privileged. That means experiencing, sometimes on a daily basis, multiple times a day, a great deal of stress, chronic stress that can lead to chronic distress and even maladaptive ways of coping with that chronic distress and even depression. Maladaptive ways of coping like drinking too much or using substances too much, not eating a healthy diet, not getting exercise, not going to your healthcare provider when you need it. That all results in higher rates of health conditions for that group of people compared to the majority. And at a societal level, that stigma and discrimination against people with minoritized sexual orientation identities and gender identities contribute to not training healthcare providers in LGBTQ plus health because historically it's not been viewed as terribly important. And the direction that those health professions have given trainees, and I'm one of them, is just treat them like everybody else and hope for the best. That is not patient-centered care. Yeah. As you're talking, you're not just talking about mental health. Obviously, you mentioned it, right? Depression or things about even acquired guilt and shame that other people may be putting on this population. But this is also physical health, right? If I don't feel like I trust a provider, I'm not going to go to a provider that doesn't understand me, doesn't recognize my identity. And so this can lead to physical health issues, chronic physical health issues, just dental stuff. Like people don't even think about. Absolutely. Yeah. If we could isolate just mental distress, certainly that distress can result in depression, but that's not just a psychological effect. That's not just an emotional effect. It has an effect on your body. It changes how your body functions and can lead to physical health problems as well. But there are higher rates of several physical health problems among LGBTQ plus identified people and among the veterans that we see at the VA. One of the cool things that we've been doing is beginning to track how people identify their sexual orientation and gender identity as they come in to their healthcare visits. That's important because it helps clinicians provide the right kind of care for the veteran that's in front of them. But as an agency, collecting that information also allows us to look at the population that we're treating and to better understand if we are meeting all of those needs for LGBTQ plus veterans who come to the VA, or if there are health disparities that exist within this population compared to non-LGBTQ plus veterans who come to the VA. And there are. We don't have a, a complete data on all of the veterans who come to us so far. We've just begun collecting this information and have it on about a third of our patient population. And looking just on a preliminary basis of what that data is showing us, we see, for example, higher rates of depression, anxiety, heart disease among LGBTQ plus identified veterans compared to non-LGBTQ plus identified veterans. And I think in, in it's just as it's important for people to understand the importance of those identities, importance, as you were talking about, for providers who are not members of that community to be able to ask. We hear things, and not to make the one-to-one comparison, but post-9-11 women veterans going into the VA and being misidentified as not being veterans. You must be here as a spouse or you're here with your grandfather or something like that, that the assumption is made 
that you are a thing or not a thing. Yeah. And it's it, like you said, it's very empowering for the provider to be able to say, I want to hear how you identify yourself. Yes. So what kind of training and support do you provide for providers in the VA to help engage with this population? Yeah. We have a lot of training available on many specific topics. And our aim is to make those kind of trainings as brief and topic focused as possible because clinicians are busy and they don't have a lot of time to do hours of training at any one sitting. They can squeeze it in as they're able to. So we have a lot of training available through the VA. None of it is mandated. None of it is required. I wish we could do that, but we haven't been able to do that yet. But I would venture to say that we have more training available and probably more clinicians in the VA taking this training than occurs in the private sector, where there is less of an emphasis on promoting LGBTQ plus health. They don't have a department for LGBTQ plus health. They don't have anyone who's promoting this particular topic or developing this kind of particular training. We have this in the VA and we are pushing it out to clinicians in the field. And we make it available to community providers on a free public health platform called DHA Train. All of our trainings in the VA are accredited. You can get continuing education for them because that's important for providers and keeping up their license. That, that continuing education also transfers over to the free public health platform. So community providers not in the VA can take these VA trainings and get reportable continuing education for their license. And one would hope that they were able to do this. That is a reason for them to do yeah. that. But, let, but, me I, add, but I, let me add another reason. Yeah. It is important for good health assessment and for patient-centered care. It's important for another reason too. Just that initial interaction with a veteran, that they recognize and affirm who you are is important to creating that warm, engaging clinical experience. This is one of the things that I sometimes get pushback about with clinicians. Why do I need to know this information? Part of it is so you can address the veteran in an affirming, engaging way and not make assumptions about who they are not use the wrong language, not assume that everybody is heterosexual until they tell you otherwise. And while that may be one mistake that a clinician makes during that day, probably happens every single time to that patient. And that communicates that I'm not expected here. I'm not welcome here. So that training helps promote creating this engaging, affirming clinical experience at VA that I think everyone should have. I absolutely agree. I think both of us as mental health professionals see trust as a core aspect of working with somebody. Veterans don't need much of a reason to avoid therapy just because of the nature of the military mindset. But obviously, if you put more of these intersectional identities that, that remove that trust, the more you can establish trust. Yeah. The opposite it may be true also from what you just said is that one affirming interaction that veteran has may be the only affirming interaction that day. And it can be a way yes. to establish trust either through a medical provider or a mental health provider. That's right. I had a provider tell me once what, and this provider was a podiatrist and 
I don't think this reaction is so unusual, but they, the podiatrist said, I treat feet. Why do I need to know my patient's sexual orientation or their gender identity? And my response was, because that foot is connected to a person. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that person has thoughts about themselves and how they want to be addressed. And they have relationships. And maybe that significant other or that spouse is sitting with them there at that clinic appointment. And certainly they're going to go home and engage with other people and need a caregiver at home. And those are all pieces of information that are very important for the clinician to know, to really engage that patient. I I like that idea of everything is connected to who we are, right? This is the social determinants of what we're doing. Um, And as you've mentioned, the VA has made a concentrated effort to expand support for LGBTQ plus veterans. So really thinking about what type of care the VA provides, what sort of tools and resources are available to veterans with LGBTQ plus identities? Several resources. First, information itself is very important. And on our webpage through the VA website, we have a lot of downloadable resources, a number of fact sheets that address questions like, why do I need to talk to my healthcare provider about my sexual orientation or my gender identity? How is this connected to my health? It helps explain why that conversation is necessary, why this information is an important part of healthcare, or why should I talk about my sexuality or my sexual relationships and my sexual behavior with my healthcare provider? Those kinds of questions get it addressed. How is that information going to be used besides healthcare? We try to address all of those so people have a reasonable understanding for how that information about themselves will be used at the VA and can feel some assurance that this information is about veteran healthcare, their own healthcare, and the needs of other veterans who come to the VA. So that informational set of resources on the website, very important, at each facility is an LGBTQ plus veteran care coordinator who's responsibility it is to help engage veterans who are new to VA, make sure they get the services that they need. If LGBTQ plus veterans have any kind of questions about how to get connected to the VA, they can talk to that LGBTQ plus veteran care coordinator. A link, a locator link to find the veteran care coordinator at the facility you go to can be found on our internet page. Also, most of the facility websites themselves have this contact information. If you're already connected to a local VA, you could probably find that on the local VA's website. That LGBTQ plus veteran chair coordinator will also have information about support groups that may be available and explain what kind of services will be available. And we provide a comprehensive set of healthcare services that are available to everyone. In addition, for gender diverse veterans, they may be interested in gender counseling or in hormone therapy to change their physical appearance to better match how they think about themselves. They may be interested in voice therapy to change how they speak and how They communicate and do that in a way that's more consistent with how they wish to present themselves. So there are a number of services common to all veterans, but also some unique ones that may be of particular interest to LGBTQ plus veterans. 
And those veteran care coordinators at the facility are the best way of getting in touch with those services. That's what I really appreciate about how this effort has developed. And as you said, it's fairly recent. And in VA terms, fairly recent, about last 10 years or so, or, or even more recent than that. But really, you're, you're focusing on how do we make the VA providers more welcoming, inclusive, yeah. and understanding. So there's that aspect of outreach and communication internally and to the community care providers as well. But then you're also communicating to veterans within this population yeah. to say, we are creating a more inclusive, a safer place for you to be able to come. And so really, as you're bridging the gap between providers and the veterans that are needing the care. Trying to. You're actually helping me bridge that gap because working within the VA, it, it is difficult, but easier to communicate with VA employees. It's much harder to communicate with people outside of the VA for a number of reasons. There are restrictions on how we can communicate in the process for doing that. And so doing a show like this is a way of reaching out to veterans who may not know that these services are available within the VA, may not know that they can get really good care at the VA, who may not know that because they identify as LGBTQ+, that there are services for them. I can't tell you how many veterans I've heard say, I lied about who I was when I entered the service. And I could have been discharged for that. I wasn't, but I could have been discharged for that. What if I tell the VA this information? Does that mean I'm going to lose my benefits? No, it does not. The VA has never taken away benefits from somebody because they identified as LGBTQ+. They can get care at the VA. That is not a problem. And you're not going to lose your benefits if you out yourself to your provider. In fact, it's a good thing to do. You should out right. yourself to your provider. I have, and we've all heard this before as we've worked with veterans, but I had a colleague one time who a lot of his transition difficulty out of the military was because the army said he couldn't be him anymore. Yeah. He wasn't allowed to, his identity was wrapped up as a soldier. And now I'm being told I'm not allowed to be me anymore. For members of the LGBTQ plus community, that was true when they were in the military for many of them, that they felt as though, especially those who served during that period of time where it, it was against the Uniform Code of Military Justice, whereas they weren't allowed to be themselves. And so that trust, we're really going to be trying to repair that broken trust yeah. for 20 to 25 years. Yeah, absolutely. And when you compartmentalize yourself like that and need to present yourself in a way that's not true to you, that's hard to transition out of. When you've done it for so long or done it so effectively, it's hard to change that. And many veterans don't distinguish between what happened to them in the Department of Defense, in the military, and what happens to them when they go to the Department of Veterans Affairs to get health care. Completely different departments, completely different agencies, a different set of rules. Yeah. And I think that as we were talking, and I've seen this with our local facilities and even colleagues that I have within our facilities, even in these times where people aren't able to express themselves freely, the VA can really be a place where they can do that safely. Yeah, that's right. As a federal institution, we don't have to adhere to variability in state laws, you know, 50, 50 states and territories, and they all do things a little bit differently on federal grounds at federal facilities. There is 
one set of policies, one set of regulations that we have to adhere to as a healthcare organization, not 50 different ones. And so that does provide some stability and I think some assurances to LGBTQ plus veterans who may worry about how they might be treated in the community. I absolutely agree. And I applaud as a clinician myself in, in having, as a veteran myself, a service member, having served with members of this population for many, many years, I really appreciate that now the effort is being made to provide them with that support. So if people wanted to find out more about the program, how could they do that? One of the best ways, I think, is to get in touch with your LGBTQ plus veteran care coordinator at the facility where you get care or you want to get care. And the best way to do that is through the locator guide on our internet page. We can connect that link to this podcast so it'll be easy for people to find. And then take that chance. Meet up with that veteran care coordinator and give the VA an opportunity to provide you the care that meets your needs. I absolutely appreciate that. We're definitely going to make sure that all those links are in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Good. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share this information. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Once again, we would like to thank this week's sponsor, PsychArmor. Psychomer is the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. Psychomer offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners, as well as custom training options for organizations. A friend and mentor of mine, who is a staunch advocate for all who had served in the military, often took exception to describing the access to any types of service from the Department of Veterans Affairs as a benefit. He said that these services are more appropriately described as an entitlement. Government-provided services that all who are eligible for that service are entitled to by law. That eligibility is not based on any demographic category, not age, race, ethnicity, or religion, not gender, location of birth, or socioeconomic status, and certainly not sexual orientation or gender expression. Anyone who served in the military and meets eligibility criteria for health care or education and employment services or housing support should have free and open access to those services regardless of their background. That's the way it is, and that's the way it should be. But if you're listening closely, you notice that I just used the word should twice. When we use the word should, it means we're describing the way something is supposed to be, but not necessarily the way that something is. Unfortunately, members of the LGBTQ veteran community, who all raise their right hand voluntarily to serve the nation as a military service member, do not always have free and open access to these services whether it's because of their own lack of knowledge or their experiences that make it so frustrating to get their basic needs met, the obstacles for LGBTQ veterans are greater than those who do not identify as part of that community. And LGBTQ veterans are not the only ones to experience barriers to care, of course. This isn't an attempt to elevate one group of veterans above another. It's simply an effort to identify that this particular group of veterans faces unique challenges that require very specific solutions. If we start off by saying that the services provided by the Department of Veterans Affairs is available to all eligible veterans, then we see that those veterans who are eligible are experiencing barriers to the care. Is that statement accurate? And if that statement is not accurate, then shouldn't all veterans and those who advocate for them stand up and say something's not right here? And this is where Dr. Koth and the Veterans Health Administration LGBTQ health program comes in. This is an effort to support veterans in this community to be able to access their health care in a way that is comfortable and accessible to them. Is it perfect? 
I'll tell you, as a user of VHA services myself, nothing ever is. But the challenges and barriers that I have faced as a middle-aged, white, college-educated, cisgender, heterosexual veteran are nothing compared to the barriers of women veterans, veterans of color, or LGBTQ veterans. So I'm glad to have been able to share Dr. Koth's work with the Behind the Mission audience in an effort to raise awareness of both the need for and the support for LGBTQ veterans in the Department of Veterans Affairs. So I hope you appreciated my conversation with Dr. Koth. If you did, we'd appreciate hearing from you. So if you do have some feedback, let us know. Drop a review in your podcast player of choice or send us an email at info at We're always glad to hear from listeners, both feedback on the show and suggestions for future guests. For this week's Psychomer Resource of the Week, I'd like to share the Psychomer podcast episodes number 20 and number 99. On episode 20, we feature our conversation with U.S. Air Force veteran Jen Dane to talk about the Modern Military Association of America, the nation's largest nonprofit organization working to advance fairness and equality for the LGBTQ military and veteran community. And on episode 99, we feature a conversation with Army veteran Crystal Ellington, a passionate advocate for those who historically have been disenfranchised, systematically excluded, and institutionally oppressed. We have an important conversation about diversity, equity, and inclusion in the military and veteran community, as well as the need for awareness and advocacy around sexual assault prevention. You'll find a link to both of these shows in our show notes. So thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find in the podcast app, as well as on the Psychummer website, psychummer.org forward slash podcast. While you're there, you can find hundreds of online training videos delivered by nationally recognized subject matter experts who are committed to educating the civilian community about military culture. All of these courses are free to individual learners. You wouldn't be listening if you didn't care, and it's that curiosity and passion for supporting service members and their families that we want to encourage and increase. Come back each week for another conversation and make sure to engage with Psychummer on social media to let us know what you thought about the show. I'd like to express special thanks to Operation Encore and Navy Seahawk pilot Jerry Maniscalco for our theme song, Don't Kill the Messenger. This show was produced by Headspace and Timing, and all rights to the show remain reserved by Psycharmor. Much appreciation to the team at Psycharmor that makes the show happen. Carol Turner, Vice President of Strategic Communications, who keeps me on track and is an outstanding guest coordinator. Support and transcripts by Emma Atherall. Feel free to share the show. In fact, we request that you do, but make sure to let folks know where you heard it. Join us next time for another great episode, and until then, stay aware, get educated, and be well.